Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome, listeners, to the Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and a man who really needs a good old sports wash behind the ears. It's Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. <laughs> Hello, Windy. Do you not wash behind your ears, Nathan? It's disgusting. Uh, I probably don't get as much soap behind the ears as I should. I definitely, I definitely rub behind the ears, but I don't go to the effort <laughs> of like making sure I'm, I'm getting, getting the gel up behind. I mean, the ears, so maybe, perhaps... maybe some shampoo just gets there, but it's not mm, deliberate. Probably, yeah. I mean, I've, there's a lot of hair going on, obviously. Yeah, so. yeah. That's good to know. Thanks for taking us through your um, regime. I appreciate that. Um, we, we, this is an extra <laughs> episode this week. You're lucky, aren't you? Goodness me. Um, this is because uh, Bardi bullied us. He said he cannot look at these questions that we've had in the bag for the last month or so Just anymore. We, we have to get rid of them. We have to work our way through them. Six-page long running order every week that we never touch. <laughs> Can't look at it anymore. It's strange. In real life, I don't have OCD, as my wife will, would tell you if, you if we ever put a microphone in front of her. But on on running orders, we should. I, <laughs> no, uh, on running orders, I just keep seeing them the same questions, and I'm like, no, no, I feel so bad for these people. I feel like they're I I let you know I'm a bit like you, Wendy. Things get to me, and I I feel let down. I feel like I'm letting down all these people. So let's let's answer them, clear them, and we can all get on with our lives. Because I know, like Jeremy Kim, he's been waiting for months and months for questions <laughs> to be to be answered. Poor Jeremy, he's been so patient. And but buddy, you did bin off a few as well. Well, some of them were so out of date. They were asking about Jose's tactics and uh, Pochettino post-Champions League final. So, look, if you sent us a question and we've not answered it uh, at this Ooh, point... Shit, you should be embarrassed. <laughs> that, and also, please send us another question <laughs> and we'll answer <laughs> in the future. That's um, how you get good at things, you know, practice. Keep going at it. Yeah, have another You go. can get it right. <laughs> Second time lucky. Um, so let's start off with the sort of tactical base questions. Uh, and we're going to try and whiz through these as well because there's masses of them. So maybe like a few minutes on each. This one is from, is it Ursel? Ursel Osman? Ursel. Ursel. Uh, who says, with us being unable or unwilling to compete financially with the other top clubs, do you think it is prudent to employ economic tactics, meaning employing a style of play that doesn't require the more expensive players? Um, that's an interesting question. Bardi, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I'm always I'm always pro playing tactics which suit the players you've got. And um, we we have we well we got two kind of managers that impact. our last manager and our current manager employ economic tactics for want of a better word. So I'm not really for that. I still think even though I, I do bid off a few of our players, I still do think we're better at football than we're currently showing. So I agree that there's a, a certain level certain players will bring you to, but I think I think our players can do better, so we should be playing better football. Hmm. How about you, Nathan? I think it's a really interesting idea. Yeah. I, I definitely like the way of thinking it. I think if you think about um, Liverpool um, in the first couple of years or first maybe three or four years under Klopp, they were playing what could be considered economic football where um, the chances are created by the system, the system turns the ball over high up the pitch and the fast attackers running behind. The midfield trio, in this case, are then just like hard-working mm -hmm. runners. And I think there's something to that. Um, and, and maybe there's been something sort of similar with what the, the Red Bull clubs have done. Um but largely, I think that there is so much, much, I think this is a great way of thinking. I think there's so much like 
other gaps in the market, right? If you think about like um, the top teams, whether they like it or not, are playing like heavy possession. They press to have even more possession. They create from open play. They use a mixture of slow and fast possession, all that kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, you're competing with them for the players who can do that. But like, they're all quite bad at scouting and <laughs> there are good players just kicking about. And so if you improve your scouting... And there's also things like... um Think about um, Guardiola was a Barcelona. He played with inverted wingers. Everyone in the world started playing with inverted wingers. He goes to Man City. He switches to wide wingers who hug the touchline. Um, and so that like he he's constantly buying against the trend. And so that's cheaper. Not that Manchester City have to worry too much about cheaper, obviously. But there's something in that. And then the final and most important one is just having really good coaches and buying young players and then turning them for a profit. So I think that as much as like that's an interesting idea and I think you can look at Liverpool as like a decent example of like an economic tactical approach, I think you can play the big obvious mainstream top team way and be much more efficient outside of that and get maximum returns from that style of play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say something similar and it was because I saw one of your tweets pop up in the Discord the other day uh, and I've, I really like the point you were making, which was about how um, we should focus more on spending money to get the right coach in. Yeah, I mean, it's not. So I was talking about Ten Hag last night because Ajax were brilliant against Dortmund and blew him away. Um, and I was explaining how, like, I use the example of, like, we regularly play 30 million or more for, like, a decent player, for, like, a, a player who's going to compete for a first-team place. And I'm not saying in the case of Ten Hag we could have just thrown money at it, but I'm saying if we apply the same level of, like, <laughs> desire, right, towards getting in a coach, if we approach it with the same mentality and the same focus, prepared to spend those kinds of money, and we go, who's the hot young talent? Who's the next great manager? Potter and Ten Hag are right there. And, okay, maybe Ten Hag wasn't too much of in a rush to leave Ajax and maybe Potter didn't want to come to Spurs and have his his image diminished under Levy you start throwing money at that problem and they can be persuaded around right you have to create that desire whether that is purely just increasing how much you're offering them whether that is increasing the potential budget with any other kind of means to persuade them I don't get the impression that we pursued these good managers mm-hmm. um, with the level of sort of dedication. Like, if you think about the extent we'll go to, like, we'll fly over to a player just to talk to him and his agent, and we'll fly him back across, and we'll show him around the training ground, and we'll put, you know, do all of this fancy stuff to sort of love them up a bit and, and get them excited. But for a manager, it's just like, oh, who's available? Oh yeah, okay, we'll go for Nuno. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, oh, who's left? Oh yeah, he'll do he'll fill in exactly exactly and and yet if we look back over the last few years the the key things in any success we've had have been uh harry kane obviously but also having the right manager in post having the right head coach that's been i'd say number one that's been number one on the the list of important things and they're they're quite an expense as well sacking managers is an expensive business the amount of money that we've sacked amount of money we spent sacking managers we probably could have convinced a a good manager to join us Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that's where the the marginal gains can be made, I think, in employing the right coach. Um, Next question is from Aryaman Mani, who says, I was fascinated by what Nathan said about Nuno being a transitional coach. I've always viewed a transitional coach as the person that beds in an identity in terms of style of play, which makes Nuno's appointments very confusing. Wouldn't an offensive-minded idealist like Kike Setien or Paolo Fonseca be better suited for the role? And Nathan, do you remember this conversation? It was quite a while back now, I think probably over a month ago. But we were talking about, were you talking specifically about Nuno being here for one, maybe two seasons, um, oversees the transition between the old and the new, and and then we move on? It's a, it's a point I'm going to make again and again because it's because i feel like the conversation around him is is still maybe a little bit more recently because there's been like there was some news broke by the athletic that like he can be sacked for free if he's not top six or something this season i can't remember the exact details that was contested by ali gold who has contacts inside the club but i think it was ornstein who broke the original news and he's his reliability is 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 pretty well considered um anyway uh yeah should your transitional coach be someone who's going to play the way you want to play after them yeah i guess it helps and especially if like you want to build a squad for then and for now and so you kind of want like crossover there mm-hmm. um i think that like what you've seen 
very importantly from you know, in recent weeks, what we talked about on Monday is is a dramatic increase in high pressing. I think that's probably more significant than anything else in terms of crossover. Like we want a pressing squad ready to go under our next manager, mm-hmm. um, and and so the right steps are being made there. And to be honest, when you're coming from Jose Mourinho, going to sort of a, a middle ground, <laughs> right, is is probably what Nuno looks like, and I, I don't think that's so bad. So uh, I don't think the style of your uh, glorified caretaker matters an enormous amount i i appreciate the argument but i i think nuno is a good transitional coach i i think that in five years time spurs fans will have no strong feelings about nuno at all yeah it'll be avb essentially it'll be like a fine you know uninspiring but probably got the job done okay i mean if he if the priority was a high pressing system um then i think they would have gone for hasenhutl i think it's what you say i think it's it's that plus also the fact that it was Mourinho before so it can't you can't to go from one extreme to another might be a bit much so doing it in a, in a transitioned way probably not the worst idea also uh he's uh Mendes client so that helps yeah Bardi I'm going to ask you this next one from Jeremy mm. Kim since you, you you referenced Jeremy at the start um, Jeremy says Harry Brooks was talking on Twitter about how Ndombele is not a possession based midfielder and I agree with him do you think this means a Huibier and Dombele pivot will never work since neither can control possession well? If it won't work, what do you guys see as our ideal midfield for next season? I'm thinking maybe a midfield three with Huibier and Dombele along with someone else who is more possession minded. And I know, Bardi, you are a huge Jorginho fan. So <laughs> I was going to say that. I was going to just to wind up Harry who does who does listen in. <laughs> yeah, but like, is that your dream? It's like uh, having a Jorginho type player, a metronomic type player who... You know, doesn't move the ball on much, but well, doesn't move the ball forward much, but moves it on side to side and creates angles. Uh, I think it's a little bit of a myth about him not moving the ball forward. He does move the ball forwards, and uh, he does, but not directly himself necessarily. He allows others to move the ball forward, as, as yeah, I see it. I, I, I definitely do think those two. Huy, I don't think Huyberg is good enough possession based, and Endobele is just is just. He's a bit of a maverick and he can be a bit more possession based. Unfortunately, I just, he keeps being played really far forward as we've talked about many times. Um, Jorginho in between those two would work, would be a wonderful, would be a wonderful addition. I think I would prefer someone a little bit more combative. So who can, who can, who can put a slide tackle in, can make more interceptions and pass the ball forward. I, you know, at the moment, I really like what Skip's doing. And I, I was going to really say, like, it I sounds really like you're like describing a, a young blonde haired man from Wedding Garden City. Yeah, <laughs> that, I, I, mean, I really, him. I think, I think the way he's moving the ball, it's, it's pretty simple, but it's effective. And the way he holds position, the way he kind of fills those spaces, the, the way he can get around the pitch, he's very mm-hmm. mobile. Mm-hmm. I would like to, because we saw moments, I know Newcastle don't pressure centre mids, but Hjordberg was doing some nice one touch passing and, and Dombele was doing Endobele things. So for this season, I'd like to see those three given more game time and see what they can do. And uh, where that leaves Lacelso is probably a bit further forward, perhaps in Lucas's, um, position but yeah I'd like to see those three going forward I mean I must say I think that if we had a coach that that coached possession as a priority I think we would just be fine I think that the players we've got would be fine in that system they wouldn't necessarily be the best of the best but Chilipia has been a good volume passer before I mean even at Bayern he was Mm. that was what he was starting himself as skip the same and then Dombele absolutely has that in his locker he's not He's not like the Celso esque in that everything has to be a, a, a forced forward pass. And Dombley's he's happier. He's happy to sort of play side to side at times and go back to the centre backs when needed. Nathan, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at the the Nuno model of play, which is sort of slow and steady possession between the the back four or five, and then a quick attack forward through, that sort of very much suits Ndombele. Um I think that if if you if you change things up, you have a different manager who wants to play a slower possession game. I don't think Ndombele being in there necessarily throws things off. I think that he can adapt somewhat. I think we can adapt to him. I think that his general quality essentially overrides any stylistic yeah. concerns. I am enjoying Skip on the ball more than Hoiberg at the moment, I think. Yeah, same. And I think same. that if we're going to go down to one of them, maybe I'm just being, you know, an English biased academy nonce, but <laughs> kind of kind of leaning towards letting Hoiberg get some of the rest he was over last season a little bit. Join us. <laughs> 
yeah, I absolutely agree. I completely agree. Um, this one is from Leonardo Dosaretz, who says, Name a club, Premier League or otherwise, that would make a better fit for our best 11 or 15. Or whether certain players fit ideally at Spurs, this can be tactically, quality generally, or however you want to take it. And what Leonardo means is, like, where should each player, which club should each player be at to get the best out of them? Um, and maybe we just pick a few players. Is, is there anyone that stands out? I mean, the obvious one for me is, what I said last podcast, the Celso would be incredible at Leeds. I have a different opinion. I, I, I think a few of our players are nailed on perfect signings for Burnley. I think... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think Dyer would be great at Burnley. I think Doherty would be great at Burnley. I think Delhi would be great at Burnley. I think Hjoiberg would do a madness at Burnley. Um, and I think Lucas Lucas would probably do great things on the wing for Burnley. Yeah, I, I just think their their energy and their directness would really suit Burnley. And Dyer's ability to to most of the time defend his own box and get his head on things would would help. I could you, you could see me and Dyer just just occupying the, the penalty spot. I mean, all of our players would improve Burnley. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely there with that idea. But no, but they suit like, them. They're, no, they're, but I don't think that suits the, the players. Like, <laughs> it's, it suits Burnley. It doesn't suit the players. You're not going to get the best out of Delhi by playing him up with Chris Wood and lumping balls up to him. You would. Delhi's, Delhi's been at his best when he's been working off a big man and making late runs into the box. He would be he'd be like Ashley Barnes is rubbish. You put Delhi in Ashley Barnes's <laughs> place and he's he's getting 15 goals a season. Yeah, but the quality of pass they get at Burnley is just so bad. Like it's everything's into the channels. It's ahead of them. They're having to like hold it up, work back, link with a full back, try and create space and get in the box and get in the end of crosses. It's, it's ugly stuff. Nathan, any thoughts on where our players would excel? I'm going to mention Guardiola for the second time in this podcast because throughout his career, he's shown this this um, real desire to have as many playmakers on the pitch as he can at one time. And at times that has been at a cost because he doesn't have a target, he doesn't have a focus, a man in the box um, to to be on the end of those attacks and to, to be a lethal scorer. And then you see more recently when he's played, he's, you know, he's played Aguero and that has sort of somewhat undermined his system. Yes, you now have the finisher, uh, you now have the target, but you are losing one of your playmakers and you see him constantly trying to shuffle things around and experiment and, and adjust to that to, to some small uh, deficit. Imagine a player who was simultaneously an elite <laughs> scoring forward and also uh, a capable number 10 type playmaker. And that is why Manchester City should bid £250 million sterling at the next window. Well, that's, a point. Say, that's a good point. Uh, I knew where that was going from the first mm. sentence, by the way. And that's why I was stickering. I loved it. Um, when you say £250 million sterling, do you mean £250 million plus sterling? Yeah, two, yeah. £250 million and Raheem Sterling. Yeah. Who yeah. doesn't want to come to Spurs? <laughs> I'm down. They'll, they'll sub his wages. Sold to the man with the long blonde hair. Uh, this one is from um, ADPF78 from Twitter, who says, Why are people judging footballers like Delhi, Giovanni, Celso, and Tongi and Dombele when they've been coached by defensive, counter attack, direct managers that like to miss out midfield for the last two and a half years? Footballers, inverted commas, like to have the football. Geo for Argentina against Geo for us. And added to that, why as a club are we wasting time with this type of coach when we know our players need a possession-based ethos? For example, if Delhi was failing under Potter, then yes, maybe we should sell, but he's not, and we have terrible fits in charge of our squad. Nathan, you did a, a comparison video of the Celso for Argentina and the Celso for us. Um, are we fair to judge... Delhi and Lo Celso and, and, and Dombele under managers like Mourinho and Nuno. Yes and no. I mean, it, this is an argument that I've I've made multiple times before and, that, and I've given a lot of license to these players on the basis of the football that we've been playing um, for the last two and a half years. Um, and I stand by that, but I also am very sympathetic to people who want to look at two years of a player's career and say they haven't done anything and be frustrated with that. Um you know, maybe the very best players can adapt to playing in their worst possible circumstances. So I, I don't, I don't really hold it against Spurs fans who say Delhi's been crap for two and a half years. He has. I don't think it's his fault. Um, 
I think that, you know, he still makes the run. Um, he still spots the space. He still has the ability to finish, but the pass doesn't come and he's not really responsible for that. Um, so I'm, I'm very, I, I, I agree that these players have been let down, um, by the club and by the management and by the circumstances. Um, but fans are going to judge players especially over a, like a long period of time. Uh, and there's not really a lot you can do about that. Mm. Yeah, the worry for me is, will we get the the next manager in in time for the players to still be around? <laughs> or will they so. have given up and gone elsewhere by that point? I was chatting to some people on Discord this afternoon and uh, it was we were to talk about Lucas because Lucas has done that that quite nice interview regarding um, his football career and his football journey and stuff and I think a lot of the a lot of stick that Delhi Gio and Tangai get is the fact that um, Lucas is is always available and that's what can be handed out to Delhi Gio and the and, and, and Don Bellis that they they aren't always fit and ready to play Lucas for better or worse, is always 100%. He's always... I, I know I don't rate Lucas. I think, obviously, those three players are much better alternatives. But there is the kind of thing that they're either injured or they're not match fit, whereas Lucas is just ready to play all the time. So, although I agree that we haven't had the manager to get the best out of those three players, there is a little bit that needs to be on them as well for not being readily available and willing to just give everything to, to the team. I mean, you've never seen Lucas pulled off at half-time for, for not trying or for not following the the coach's bad tactic bad tactics yeah i mean that's that's true that um i think i'm right in saying that lacelso never had injury problems before he joined spurs i think i saw i read some analysis saying that essentially there was no there were no red flags in lacelso's injury history and then he joined spurs and he seems to be injured constantly which is very unfortunate same with sessignon i think really he's been really unfortunate with injuries um yeah so I think you make a good point that like availability is an underrated um, attribute for players. The difficulty is it's really hard to predict that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like you can go through a player's injury history and find nothing that concerns you, and then suddenly they arrive at Spurs and they're out injured all the time. We've been really unlucky with um, Lacelso. I think um, the number of injuries that we seem to pick up on international duty is crazy as well. This one is from Mohamed Surti who says, I have a question around the applicability of the midfield diamond formation in top-level football. My most recent memory of a highly functioning diamond formation was the Milan midfield with Kakar or Rui Costa at the tip, Seydorf on the left, a work-rate Gattuso or Ambrosini on the right, and Pirlo dictating play from the base. Can such a system function successfully in modern football, especially with the width from opponents countering the system? I especially ask this, as we at Spurs currently have the perfect players for the system. Deli or Lucas in the Kakar role, Tongi and Lacelso for the Sadoff role, uh, Huey Biet, Skip, Divine and now John for the Gattuso role, and Tongi, Lacelso and Huey Biet for the Pirlo role. Add to this the potential recruitment of an, oh god, I always fuck up his name pronunciation, our Sabitzer and Pjanic, who can also fit into this system. Buddy, you're going to love talking about this because it's, uh, it's Italian football shit. Well, it's not it's Italian football shit, but it's a. You're looking at he, he's just named the midfield diamond with some of the goats of <laughs> of of European football. I mean, Kaká behind a, a front two of, of of Crespo and Zaghi Shevchenko, and then if he's not playing, you've got Rui Costa, Seidorf, who's brilliant, Gattuso, and Pirlo, obviously. So I think if you've got those guys in the midfield, you can you can do great things. But you have to remember that Milan team didn't sweep the didn't sweep the world. So it didn't destroy the world. It, it lost the Champions League final to Liverpool. It didn't get win back-to-back league titles. So there is there is a fault at there. Um, it was great in one-off games and in, cl- in cup competitions. But I mean, I like the diamond. Can it work? Of course, if you've got the right players. And But the thing about that team is it had a, a brilliant defence behind it as well. You had Maldini, uh, Nesta, and at left back, maybe Kaladze or Jankulowski. And then you could switch it out for Serginio, who was an incredible, um, incredible fullback, attacking fullback. So you'd get your whip there. Um, can it work at Spurs? I'm not sure about the the, the holding role, the Pirlo role. We've been to, we've already spoke spoke about an individual who 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 do we have that can do that kind of possession metronome um, role, and I don't think we have it yet. So I'd like to see it, Spurs. Pochettino tried it a few times, so I'm, I'm curious to see what Nathan thinks. Molto interessante. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely uh, Spurs fans hate the diamond um, mm. <laughs> because we played some not great football in a diamond, and so they they associate that shape with bad football. And definitely, like you look at Oscar quite a few times, you think, oh yeah, especially with Delhi, obviously, because Delhi basically. I mean, I, I've liked him in the I've liked him in the advanced eight role, um, but most of the time you want to see him as a ten, and so the diamond sort of is there. As a result of that, um, I don't think that you need to hit the like um, old Milan archetypes, right? There, there are essentially if you think of the number ten as a number ten, right? Then you're just looking at a midfield three, and a midfield three is common across multiple formations. And there are various different ways to balance a midfield three. Whether that is like your deepest player is like just a destroyer, or whether your deepest player is the playmaker, and the running comes from the the a deeper number eight who who does a back and forth running job or you know how, however you set it up so there's lots and lots of different archetypes you can use to create a midfield three um lots of ways of, sh- of sharing about the the roles and the tasks that you want that midfield to do yeah i definitely think a diamond could and has previously suited us um especially and obviously this is this is what you know thinking back in the day especially when kane is looking a bit ankly and you need someone to do his running for him but you don't want to you know <laughs> sit him out or that's the thing isn't it the diamond gives you the opportunity to play two up front um, I must say that I, my favourite deadly position is essentially a number nine <laughs> or left wing. I, I really like Delhi from the left. Obviously, he's not going to ever take Son, Son's place. So I would play him up with Kane. He's the nine, Kane to ten, or you know they're switching, they're, they're mixing it up. That's, that's where I say I don't like him as a ten behind two strikers. I think that cramps his, the amount of space he has to move into. Um, and also, it's kind of part of the point of Delhi is he drags defenders away as well. Uh, I think you're sort of losing that ability in playing him behind two strikers. But good question, Mohammed. So we move on to some questions about set pieces. Um, Franco, not Bardi's dad, another Franco, says, with all this talk of Ward-Prowse, what about Harvey White? Feels like we've been hearing about his set pieces for years. Why not give him a run out? And yes, I did. it did occur to me, actually, when we had the conversation about having a set piece specialist that we do have one in our ranks. Harvey White is a, a mean set piece taker. Um, that said... I've watched him a couple of times this season on streams and um, his set pieces have been disappointing. So I don't know if he's like stopped working on them, but I don't think he's Ward-Prowse levels. He used to be incredible from free kicks. Incredible. Like when he had a free kick outside the box, you knew it was going to hit the target and he was either going to score or draw a save from the keeper. Top corner every time. Brilliant. Uh, he's missed a few penalties recently, and also his corners don't seem to be as as exciting to me. But I really, I do like White's ability. I think there's something there. I want to see think- him. Go, I want to see him go out on a proper loan and and play a full season. Ericsson was one of the best free kick takers in the world. He was he was like probably the best short free kick taker in the world for a couple of years, and then he went several more years without scoring one. Like mm-hmm. I think that's just that's just the nature of direct free kicks. Basically, um, you have Ward Prowse, who's who's counter examples of that, and then you have you know Messi, who is Messi. <laughs> but basically, there's such like an unreliable source. There's so much randomness involved that it's like if you flip a coin several times and head comes up loads at the start and then tails comes up loads at the end there hasn't been a transformation in the coin that's just sort of how randomness works and it's the same thing with how frustrated Spurs fans are with Harry Kane's free kicks and Chris Somersell's made this this point before that like he's getting in and around where he wants them to be he hasn't (laughs) taken that many I don't necessarily think he's the worst free kick taker the world has ever seen Um, I don't even mind him taking a corner (laughs) I prefer his corners to his free kicks wow um, Lamella's right foot says have we seen enough corners to know what Nuno wants from those I do like Sanchez crowding the keeper but have you noticed any distinct plays yet so that's interesting and actually um, I've not noticed anything special about Nuno set pieces uh, Son is firing a lot of near post corners mm. that's the only thing I've seen so far any any observations yeah, I think the only thing I've seen as well is is, is near post corners, which um, I mean, it's, I don't have any statistics. I'm just going to use my my eyes. I think he's beaten the first man quite a lot. Son, Son does take a good corner. To be fair, mm. he's good. At, he's good at delivering a flat ball, a flat powerful ball. Um, there there was one game, wasn't there, where we tried something? Didn't we try a routine? Am I making it up? 
No, I think so. I, th- I think we tried to pull it back to the edge of the area. Yeah. Which is always a concern. I think we got countered on immediately, which is always, <laughs> <laughs> always a one. what normally happens. Sounds yeah. right. Yeah. 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 Um, Nathan, have you noticed any sort of interesting movements in the in the six-yard box? I've been not looking, basically. I'm, okay. I, I, um, I'm going to do this, and it's going to be a video, but I wanted to wait until there was enough material to to be working with. So maybe in about a month's time, um, I'll I'll queue up the set pieces and and look through the patterns. I have nothing stood out, nothing's nothing's jumped out to me. Um, but this is something I was saving for for a little later, I think. Mm-hmm. One thing we didn't mention in the Newcastle match was the adorable moment where Ndombele hid behind Dyer. Mm. Do you remember that? He bends down behind Dyer, grinning and whispers something to him. They obviously have a little plan for the corner, uh, and then nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> But he was he was very cute. Yeah. He also rainbow flicks the uh, the assistant ref. He wanted yes. to call at half time. <laughs> yes, he did. God, I love him. Uh, He's having fun, and so are we. Yeah, absolutely. Tim Ogin says, "Hi guys, question for the pod: Andrea Bellotti, David Brooks. Oh God, poor David Brooks. This is obviously asked before the the horrible news came out about David Brooks having um, cancer, which is just terrible news." Sorry, Bellotti and Usman Dembele are out of contract this summer. Anyone that you fancy we should go after on a free or in January? Um, Buddy, you're not Bellotti's biggest fan, are you? No, avoid. He's rubbish. I think he's good. I, I, I feel very differently about Velocity. I just don't think he. I don't think he offers anything in behind. I don't think he offers anything coming short. He's a, he's a, a reasonable finisher, but um, yeah, I just I, I just don't. It's a bit like Andre Silva, which I, I think Nathan's also a fan of. Yeah, I'm not, and uh, I'm just not a fan of these these kind of okay finishers that I just don't think offer anything else. So I, I would skip him. Plus, he's got a hunch, and you know what I'm like about the hunches. <laughs> I thought that was. Backs only. Yeah, but he's he's got it naturally. I think he's had it since birth, and I just don't like the way he moves. And every time he put, wears a shirt for Italy, I'm I'm, I'm not happy. Um, Dembele is an interesting one. He remains an extremely talented footballer, and it just hasn't worked for him at Barcelona. But it doesn't work for everybody at Barcelona. I don't think we need another winger right now, so I would I would avoid that because also I think he'd probably be quite a lot on wages. So mm-hmm. out of those out of those two that are really kind of available, I, I, I would I would avoid both. I mean, Belotti's being linked with West Ham. That's probably where he should go. Continue the succession of bad average Italians going to East London. He's not going to play much at West Ham, is he? You know, with Antonio in the form he's in. Antonio's become an incredible player. That would be a really bad move for Belotti, I would say. Um, Nathan, any of these take your interest or or any players who are out of contract this summer? Um... I don't know. I'd have to look through. I'd have to load up transfer market and 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 scroll for a while. Um, I'm certainly not against the idea of picking up a player on free. It's just that, like, mm. um, generally, well, we heard that Paratici seems to favour these sorts of signings, didn't we? Uh, he did, uh, but I think that that was a specific model to Juventus, who could okay. who um, who can use their position to to do that and. Um, and it was sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like, oh, well, I can just run my contract down and move to Juventus because they're always looking for, <laughs> for free. And, <laughs> and and as a result, take up big, big wages. And then Juventus had a really hard time moving on players afterwards, which is where we don't want to be. So mm. um, I don't think that's going to be so much a thing. Not that, like, you know, he'd never go back to his old ways <laughs> if, if there was, like, a good deal. But, yeah, I don't know. Players, players who... Um, Frank Kessie... His his contract, I think his contract is up this summer. I'd be I'd be I'd be interested in that. Yeah, so he's an ex- so normally when a good player is available on a free, it's because they have already sort of secretly spoken to a specific club that they have in mind, um, or they're going to be hotly contested. Mm. And so Kessie is one who, like maybe we sort of put a bit of a word in with and. Um, might have first dibs on, but then you're still like, you know, you're still sort of gambling on a player kind of honouring uh, a non-existent contract rather than taking up someone's else's offer for for bigger wages. And again, we, we've got to keep our wage book down. So in January, we can start offering contracts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there is another player that I'd be quite interested in. Gareth Bale. <laughs> would sign one more year with fans in the stadium to let them enjoy him. Why not? As a treat. Mm. As a little treat. I'm not too sure on that. I'm going to, I'm going to veto that, Wendy. Yeah, I've, I've moved on. We had <laughs> fun. We had fun. It, we when had there fun. was no and fun to be had, 
we we had fun and and uh, I'm done. We had fun, but also his numbers were incredible. <laughs> I mean, he delivered. He really delivered. A new year is full of surprises, but one thing is always predictable: postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to eighty nine percent off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over one million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code Program for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code Program. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Uh, Kunal Shah says a new trend among Premier League clubs started by Brighton has been to sign veteran players to play with their under-23s to help nurture younger players. Manchester United recently signed their former academy product, Paul McShane, for this purpose. I was wondering what you guys thought of the idea and which ex-Spurs player you would like to see brought back to fulfil this role. Although the reasons for him playing with the under-23s were rather different, it sounds like Danny Rose served as a role model and positive influence on our young players. Yes. So this is something that I spoke about with Chris on Straight Off the Training Ground, which is our uh, Behind the Paywall Patreon podcast, which um, goes out most weeks. Um, And uh, Chris had kind of mixed views on it. I mean, I think it's, I think there's some sense in it in terms of helping to coach the young players on the pitch, like being there to actually give sort of direct instruction and feedback as they go. Um, To have a feel for what the players are doing on the pitch can be then reported back to the coaching team. Um, I think you also need to note that it takes away one of the 11 opportunities for young players to actually play football, uh, which I think is a significant issue, to be honest. Uh, and I think if Spurs were to do it, I would I would only want them to do it occasionally. I wouldn't want, I'd want them to bring back a versatile player who can play a number of positions and just play them every now and again when they need to fill a gap rather than have someone who's going to play week in, week out. Because I would much rather see us, you know, play one of our young centre-backs than play a young centre-back alongside an older player. Um, it's interesting. There's a few little interesting quirks like this going on with academy football at the moment. And I, I do think this is a, 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 something to keep an eye on um, for the next couple of years. But in terms of which player would come back, Bardi, any thoughts on any sort of now mid-30s players that you'd like to see come back to Spurs to play in the, in the under-23s? I, I just had flashbacks of my football manager game where I had to sign eight players with English passports and I signed Tom <laughs> Huddleston. I mean, that's a player nice. that could play centre-back for under-23s, centre-midfielder as well. I, I, I thought he's technically brilliant. I think he's probably learnt a lot in his career. Um, so maybe Huddleston is, is one that's sprung to mind. Yeah. Um, we could perhaps go, to, go out to Europe. I don't know, I don't know what Galas is doing these days, but I think he might be a, a good influence. I don't know why. What the hell? Why has he come to your mind? No idea. It's just Galas popped into my mind. <laughs> Nathan, any thoughts? Any players you'd like to see reunited with Spurs? I, don't know. I think I think it's I think it's an interesting idea. I, I quite like the idea of it. Um, but I, if you feel otherwise, I'm 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 I'm, I'm confident taking your word on it because you know more about the youth teams than I do so well I think there's some merit in it I think there's some merit in it I, 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 I'd like to see how it goes for other clubs for a couple of years before okay. I say whether I want us to do it or not um, and sort of see what impact it has I mean it is absolutely the case um, 
as was pointed out in the question by uh, Kunal, that Rose definitely had a positive influence mm. on our young players. I mean, they all spoke so highly of him when he left and said how much they helped. I, I think it was Elliot Thorpe tweeted a, a real, really sweet tribute to Rose when he um, joined Watford to say, you know, what a, an impact he'd had behind the scenes and stuff that, you know, we don't know about, but goes on. I mean, Rose is clearly just a decent bloke, isn't he? Um, so, yeah, interesting, interesting suggestion. Gregory Green says, huge fan of the pod and your work for the past decade. Oh, thanks, Gregory. Similar to how you said nice things about Pochettino, could you say nice things about AVB? He was unfairly maligned by the press who did not like him and for the Gareth Bale 7. However, he took Bale up a notch, changed the age profile of the squad, showed loyalty near the end, we as us, and most importantly, updated the club's tactical profile by introducing the 4-2-3-1, to which Pochettino used to great success. Uh, I, I responded to Gregory's email and said I probably wouldn't be that nice about AVB if we spoke about him. I don't I don't remember those times very fondly. I remember being quite bored during um, AVB's tenure. There was quite a lot of stale football. I remember I remember being in the stadium and there being lots of groans uh, as the ball went back and forth across the pitch and there wasn't much progress. Having said that, when he was appointed, I was really excited. Despite the sort of apparent failure at Chelsea, I was I was pumped for the appointment of, of AVB. Bardi, how do you remember AVB's time at Spurs? You didn't say one nice thing, Wendy. He asked you to say a couple of nice things. You didn't say anything. So I, I, I'll do that. I'll say... Um, like his beard. We, we, we won at Old Trafford, which we hadn't done since 1989 when he, when he came in. Um, he was one of our, before Pochettino, probably our, one of our more successful foreign yeah. managers. Yeah. He um, he took a club and a fan base which was obsessed with 4-4-2 and playing with out-and-out wingers <laughs> and introduced us to a new style of football. He um, started playing with inverted wingers, which was which was something groundbreaking. And um, he he did he did he lost his best player. We lost Luka Modric when he arrived, and the players that he had on his list to replace Modric and to move forward, he never got. So um, I remember he had to start the season, I think, with Livermore and Huddleston in centre midfield, and it was, it was you know that's not the best dynamic duo that you can have. But I think I think he did okay. He pushed close to top four, and he he did all right. So there's some nice things about AVB. If of all our ex-managers in the last few years, if he had to come back, I, I would accept him. We, I think we've had this question before, but I'll take him back over Ramos, over Redknapp, over Mourinho and the rest of them. So he proceeded... Um, no, sorry. My, my memory is, is getting this wrong. So he came mm. after Redknapp, right? Yeah, yeah. He came after Redknapp. Yeah. So we'd already... We'd already started playing some 4-2-3-1 with inverted wingers, hadn't we, before AKB Under Redknapp, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I think Do you not Red remember Nap, the, the, the Gareth Bale song? He plays. I think that was just people were getting wise to how to stop Bale. They were boxing him in on the byline. So Redknapp switched him over because obviously if you're inverted, you, you're moving inside and you open up the pitch. I don't think that was Redknapp doing anything. I mean, it can be tactically smart, but... Yeah, I think that was more to do with perhaps Bale. I think it was still very much ready to four four two or a four four one one with Van der Vaart off Crouch. I think that's as that's as tactical as it got with <laughs> Nathan, what are your memories of AVB? Uh I think that you have um a coach who was sort of a little ahead of his time when he came to the Premier League. Um so Julian Nogsman says that like management is thirty percent tactical and seventy percent social, and I think that his his tactical ideas were really strong. Um and perhaps his social skills were lacking and his man management was lacking. And you put him into a situation in his second year at least where he's just like suddenly got a huge turnover of new players to try to bend into a system. Even in the first year, there was considerable issue like trying to translate his ideas onto the pitch, get the team to press high. Think about the type of football that he was trying to play, like high pressing, high possession football. Uh, what we're talking about earlier is like, well, now that's what everyone is trying to do, especially well, at least amongst the top teams. And so, um, yeah, maybe his, maybe his, um, like his, his coaching as in his direct personal relationship skills were, were lacking, but I think tactically he had a lot of really strong ideas. I think the fact that he first arrived in the Premier League at Chelsea, uh, a team who were just like, <laughs> Like John Terry was the manager of Chelsea at the time that yeah. AVB was there to stand around and that was just never going to work. And he wanted to play a high line and expose all the space behind John Terry and he wanted, you know, Chelsea's luxury players to press high up the pitch and all that kind of stuff. So he's arrived to Spurs already with that kind of baggage and then he's like, yeah, he's trying to, it's, it's, it's complicated football. You know, it's talking about possession in phases. 
and players just sort of weren't really ready for that stuff at the time. Um, he's gone elsewhere and played good football and then fallen out the board again and again and again. I think that his perhaps his experience with Daniel Levy has made him, well, I don't want to have, you know, the Matinho situation again. So instead of just accepting whoever you buy, if you don't buy Moutinho or whatever my equivalent is for this window, I will simply leave my job immediately and go do, you know, desert racing instead. So, so um Bless him. He's 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 living his best life, and <laughs> I've got nothing to respect. I, I think that he had some really interesting ideas. I, I think tactically, there's a lot going on there. Um, but, I'm not convinced. Uh, I'm not convinced in that at all. I mean, I, I I I maybe I should go back and watch an AVB game. Um, I I remember it being not dissimilar to what Nuno's Tottenham are playing now. No man, it was <clears throat> it was very different to that. He wanted to play like Nathan says. He wanted to play a certain way, but he he was so wedded to his system that he he didn't really adjust. And he he wanted rid of Dawson. He wanted a ball playing centre back, and we we had mm. Dawson, and he, he couldn't. So we had I think we had Dawson and Vertonghen, or sometimes Dawson and Gallus, because I think Vertonghen played quite a bit left back at the start. Kabul maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, Kabul. Yeah, maybe. Um, but I, yeah, maybe we should go back and watch. But I do think he he had some good ideas, but his just his man management and his way of controlling and managing the team were, was off. He he managed to get the best out of Bale. He did some really good things with Defoe. He did some really interesting things with um, with Dempsey as well. And Lennon Lennon had some good times under him. I, there was definitely some good points, but I think that Tottenham squad was pretty weak. And it had lost King, who'd retired, and it had lost Modric. So those those were two big influences. I, I think I think he was probably better than we remember. But yeah, the magnificent seven killed him. That. That bit of scouting, it all fell apart in that second season for him. And it culminated. His last game was that 5-0 spanking by Liverpool at home. And it was a bad way to go out. A bit of um, light relief now. Curtis Blank says, if you had to play a round of mini-golf with a Spurs player, previous or current, who would it be? <laughs> so what's the, the purpose of mini-golf? Mini-golf is one of those games which is, is meant to be a little bit of light fun, isn't it? You know, is a windmill with a hole at the bottom and you've got to put a ball through it and... Uh, and that's fun for the whole family, except it's absolutely infuriating because it's really hard to, when you're not a golfer, to hit a ball through that tiny hole. And then the, 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 the it's rigged in such a way that not only does it not go through the hole, but the ball rolls back down, not even to where it started, but behind where it started. So you're now like playing the shot from an even worse position. And then it's even more frustrating the next time you take it. So I would want to play with a player who would absolutely lose his shit and just like take chunks out of the the uh, the site and I reckon that would be Eric Dyer. He's just taking he's taking the golf club to the windmill and he's just he's he's wrapping it around it. Your experience of mini golf is very different from my experience of mini golf, Wendy. I think you might have you're approaching this with the wrong mentality. I'm afraid you got to you got to readjust the purpose of mini golf and, and get a bit introspective with what's going on there. Me and Andomvale, we're going. We're playing trick shot only mini golf. We're freestyling. <laughs> <laughs> we're there. We're having fun. We're going to take three hours to get around the course, but we're going to film each other on our phones and post a compilation of epic shots <laughs> that's that's what's going on so so i'll tell you why my um my memories of mini golf are bad I, I i really like mini golf for the record i think it's fun. <laughs> are um, you sure but, but i played it in vegas with my mate um and we had such a good day we were had such a nice time we were we, we drank a lot of beer and we had some good food and we went to play mini golf and uh, we were having a wonderful time and it was even until the last go and then um, something happened. I don't know, like a, an alarm went off or a siren happened and they're like, oh, wow, okay. So on this hole, uh, the winner of this hole, the one who does it in the fewest shots, gets a T-shirt and we were, we were quite drunk <laughs> by this point and we're like, oh, my God, a T-shirt. Right, okay, really competitive, really competitive. And, um, and essentially, you were both playing at the same time. Like there wasn't one weight to the other. Oh, you had to just rush to the ball and play the shots. And my mate basically held me back. He was, he's a lot bigger than me. And he just basically held me back whilst he played all the shots and he won the T-shirt. And it was, it was traumatising. I'm sorry that happened to you, Wendy. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. Buddy, who are you play mini-golf with? I think if it was um, one of those city mini-golfs where the, you go round and it has a, that nice little poser table you can put your beer on as you take your shots. I, w I was thinking perhaps Gaza, because I think that would be pretty funny. But then Gaza's kind of developed into this weird, weird person these days. So I'm going to go Ledley King for a drinking, nice. a drinking um, round of golf, because then you know he'd be up for going out after. If it was a family thing, like a dino golf or something like that on the, on the A41, I think I'd go with Hume Min Sun. 
I'll take my I'll take my family and go with him and his dad and play a little round of mini golf. That'd be quite nice. If you go with King, Dawson will just tag along anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll be all right with that. I'll yeah. be all right with that. And then we can very... then we can all carry we can carry King out the nightclub later. That sounds wonderful. That'll be a very cheerful round of, mm. of mini golf. I reckon he's such a happy man, Michael. He's Dawson. so lovely. I remember. So nice. I think I've said this story before, but I think. I think when we signed, we signed him and Andy Reid at the same time, and I think yep. we played Wigan maybe or somebody at home, and he was introduced at half time. And Andy Reid said, "Oh yeah, I can bring this. I'm going to bring that." And Michael Dawson just went, "I'm pretty good in the air. I can head it." And I just thought, <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that's that's so nice. And he's not I wrong. Hate, <laughs> yeah, I hate our pundits. I think we've been blessed with the worst bunch of miserable pundits in in football, apart from Michael Dawson, who's brilliant. He's a lovely man. He's he's great. And the the clip of him having uh, a Beaver Town beer yeah. is definitely mm. one of my favourite Spurs player clips that does around on um, Twitter. It's really yep. funny. The smile on his face. Uh, this one is from Andrew Lay, who says, I wonder what the extra inch would have been like during the mid to late 90s. Could it have even worked as a concept when Spurs were a bit rubbish? The pain of losing Sheringham and seeing him win stuff. The second coming of Klinsman, Bayalesque. Debates about whether Willem Causton was a good squad player. Discussion <laughs> about what sort of project Christian Gross was taking us on. Oh my goodness, yeah. Extra inch in the 90s. I mean, are we not a bit rubbish now? We're, we're, we're a bit rubbish. I mean, we're rubbish at a higher level, obviously. Um, I think it would have been quite an optimistic podcast in the mid-90s because it always felt like this is our year. This is this is the... So we'd always make one signing that really kind of made you think, we're going to do it. We're going to do something. We're going to win the cup. We're going we're gonna to get into Europe and win the FA Cup or something. Buddy, how would you have coped with uh, podcasting in the 90s? Yeah, it would have been like you said. It was always hopeful. It was always going to be this was our year. And I always remember my my nan and granddad were were keen were keen betters on on the on on the nags on the GGs they used to call it. I don't know why it's called GGs. And they would like bet ten p on each horse. And they'd take me in the bookies during the summer holidays. And I'd always peer up at the chalkboard. And Tottenham were always sixty to one to win the league. <laughs> and I always said to my granddad, "Go on, let me have a pound to put on Tottenham to win the league." I, I was that kind. Of, I was that optimistic. And I. I I think I would pay money to go back and see Nathan try and make a video of um, of oh, Blondell and, and the rest <laughs> of them, like with no footage around. How would you find these VHSs? It'd be there with like mountains and mountains of tape trying to tape it all together. But um, there were there were good moments, like signing Klingsman and losing losing Sheringham was bad. But then he came back, and you know it it was a hard time to be a Spurs fan for sure, especially when you look on the other side of North London, Arsenal winning everything and and playing this incredible football with these amazing players. But you're right, there was optimism, and I I think I think we would have found a little niche there in the same kind of spirit that that the fighting cock was was born in born into with the kind of dull and depressing middle aged tone coming out of Spurs show. I think we would have we would have inspired some people and people would, would have come along with us for the journey. Nathan just endlessly analysing four four twos. There's really only so much to talk about about the tactics at the time. Yeah. You know, oh, how are the opposition going to the same as all of the other games? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this one I mean, is I, I, just just one more thing on the nineties. It was like if you if you were watching Serie A at the time, and then there were players coming over from Serie A who were uh, kind of past it, or perhaps being squeezed out the national team of Italy and coming to England and just doing amazing things. Cantona, for example, comes to comes to England and wins the Premier League, wins the the last first division with Leeds, then goes to United and starts his whole dynasty. And he he was an okay player. He was pretty good, but he wasn't he wasn't like signing peak Ronaldo or a peak Messi or something. So it, it was pretty dour and pretty crap, the 90s football in England. I've got good memories of it, though. Because it's your childhood and everybody yeah. everybody looks back to the 90s and think, oh, it was so good. Euro 96, wasn't it so great? Well, England, they won, what, two matches and drew the rest and then went out on penalties. It wasn't yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, and I guess because you couldn't watch every football match so you mm. watched the football match that was on and yes. and everyone watched that football match and spoke about that football match afterwards and there was something sort of quite nice about that there was a, a, a mystery to it even sky back then is nobody not everybody had sky because it was quite expensive so it was always your mate had it or 
you had to go around someone's house or when you got old enough, you went to the pub to watch yeah. it. So you weren't, there was no such thing as streams. So every game had a little bit of mystery and you'd go to school the next day. It would be, it would be like, did you see that? Oh, what happened? And there, it, there was, there was that to it. Now we, you can, if you missed a goal or anything, YouTube has the, the goals immediately for you to look at. So there was that part to it that you had to go looking for football. Yeah, that was, that was quite nice. So this one is um, from an anonymous uh, caller. The politics of the fan. Tottenham's fans have an honourable history of opposing fascism in all the way it politically manifests, and even up to this day, the club has been doing a decent job in advancing issues of social justice. But there's a contradiction that lies in their publicity, and I wanted your thoughts on it, especially Nathan's, as I find myself most politically aligned with him. Lucas Moura is coys, 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 and he's loved by the fan base as a personality. He's often used for Spurs propaganda by the social media team, but the contradiction is specifically their silence and acceptance of Lucas Moura's support of Jair Bolsonaro, a fascist who stole an election by conspiring with a judge and imprisoning his only major competitor, Lula, who was vindicated from his false crimes just recently. Bolsonaro also advocates violence against members of the LGBTQ community and stealing land from indigenous people. As someone who isn't heterosexual, I find it so hard to love someone like Lucas, and I believe the fan base gives him too much of a pass, just as even admittedly I give Jose a pass for much of his misogyny. I don't believe that fans should just shut up and accept forever that Lucas will support a fascist, and perhaps in the old days of football, he might have been booed off the pitch for his political views. In the modern spectacle of football, what is the role of a Tottenham fan in advancing a society of justice within their club? Or even worse, have we lost all that autonomy? Hmm. So I think we've um, we have referenced Lucas's political views in this podcast quite a few times previously, and it doesn't always go down very well. Uh, we get a bit of kickback about that. Um, I would urge anyone to who has a few minutes to go and look at Lucas Mora's likes on Twitter. It's quite a depressing. Look, I don't like Lucas Mora. I'm going to be honest. I I think he will always be a Spurs legend uh, for what he did in Amsterdam and uh, he's very sweet whenever there's a video with him and a child or whatever he always comes across as a very happy likeable man but clearly he has some some views that are not in line with my own and that I actually can't tolerate and I, I don't want to I, don't, I find it hard to like him as a result of that um, and people often say well that's because he's he's Catholic that's because he's Brazilian and the social problems in Brazil um, are such that you know, you you would come to accept someone who's fascist because they want law and order in a very difficult um, place to live. And to be honest, I reject that because Lucas doesn't live in Brazil anymore uh, and he has quite a nice life now, And as far as I'm aware. And not only was he voting for Bolsonaro, he was publicly promoting Bolsonaro, knowing knowing what that would mean for marginalised people in Brazil. And his decision was based on the fact that that was the lesser of two evils to him. And I reject that personally. And Nathan, any thoughts on, on Lucas and his politics and more generally the, the politics of the Spurs fan? I am a little sympathetic to the conversation around his upbringing, Catholic upbringing, the situation, like the state of Brazil pre-Bolsonaro, um, the 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 Catholic vote, and all of those kind of things. Um, those are worth bearing in mind. I think. Yeah, um, sure. I don't know. It's complicated. I think that like um, there's a couple of things going on with like perception of like <laughs> what a bad person is. <laughs> Um, in terms of like a separation of politics mm -hmm. from uh, like basic human decency, mm -hmm. like uh, and and also like yeah, with that sort of an imagination of what like a bad person is and how they act like, and because Lucas is like a charming, happy, uh, cute character who says "quiz, quiz, quiz," there's a real like. Um, dissonance um with the views that he holds and what those views mean and 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 there's again there's this sort of commonly held um position that like well that's politics and politics is separate from <laughs> i don't know but I, I i can't it's hard for me to even like explain the the common position because i think it's so removed from reality that like he's entitled to his political view which of course he is and i'm entitled to say that that makes him 
a bad person, right? He believes that Bol- Bolsonaro's views are correct, and Bolsonaro's views are that like gay people are subhuman, right? But because there's that like deference of one place, Lucas gets a free pass, right? I keep seeing the Spurs account tweet out like there's no room for homophobia in football, and I think there is a homophobe in the starting eleven most weeks. And maybe, maybe Lucas personally feels differently about that, right? Maybe he doesn't hold exactly the same position as Bolsonaro, but he still has to take on mm-hmm. the crimes of Bolsonaro in that. We had an argument with a listener recently who said, uh, after we talked about Gattuso, and he said, well, how can you possibly say that that's homophobic? What Gattuso's position is homophobic. He's just a Catholic, and that's the Catholic position, and I'm a Catholic. Are you saying that I'm a homophobe? And I am. I am saying that. If you follow the Catholic Church and the Christian Church, and their position is to not give the same rights to homosexual people as straight people, that is a homophobic position, right? And it might be a very popular one. It might be a very historic an archaic one it might go back a long long time it might mean a lot to you it might be the way that you connect to your belief in gods but that doesn't make it right it doesn't mean that i'll accept it it doesn't mean that i won't say that it's homophobic which it is so yeah it's difficult it's difficult to speak out against lucas because people don't want to hear it they just want to support their club and lucas is this cute happy guy Mm. who says coy is and he scored Mm. that goal those goals um in amsterdam and all of those things but there's this removal of um of politics from politics and people say this isn't political and like it people say this isn't political in support of good causes but everything is political right and if one person says i think it's political and you don't that's now a political debate right <laughs> so everything is political so yeah you, you have this the 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 and it is in my opinion, an inherently conservative view to remove politics from day-to-day life, right? Because then you are, um, you're creating that separation from the decisions made in Parliament for how it affects our day-to-day lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you don't belong to one of those marginalised communities, it's very easy to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you you have this this popular position, which is that like politics is this separate thing from from moral quality and, and decency and and, and empathy, um, and you're always going to get that pushback anytime you say, "Hey, Lucas Mora supports these beliefs, and Lucas Mora likes these posts on Twitter, and all this kind of awful stuff." And Lucas Mora tweets out this this kind of stuff and everything else. Um, I don't know. It, it is very easy for for the Spurs official account to, you know, like we talked about before, wear, wear rainbow laces and, and and tweet out support for this cause and say there's no room for racism. Um, but they'll never do the actual difficult thing of of looking like upholding those values in ways that are removed by one. Right. Mm-hmm. A lot of the way we talk about racism and homophobia is just sort of direct verbal abuse. Right. As long as you're not shouting homophobic abuse at someone like that's homophobia, but everything outside of that, well, that's politics and that's religion. If you're not shouting racial slurs at someone, then you're not racist. But of course, there are many other forms of racism and ways in racism transpire. There's just a disconnect there. There's just, there's no way. So I don't know. Uh, the question is in advancing society of justice within the club, what, what can Spurs fans do? Or have we lost that autonomy? We never had it, right? We, we've, we've never, we, ever since um, we talked about this when the, when the trust came on, ever since like the privatization of football, fans haven't really had that autonomy. And there's always been this, again, this conservative mindset that politics is separate from reality. Politics is just a thing that happens once every four or five mm-hmm. years um, and isn't like how we live our day-to-day lives. Um, what we can do is continue to say, hey, this thing that Lucas Moura believes in isn't great. And and knowing that we will get the pushback that we get and and hope that eventually the more of us that are saying it over time, and I do think that we are heading in that direction, right? You wouldn't have had 10 years ago, you wouldn't have had uh, not a majority, but you wouldn't have had, you know, 20% of, of Spurs fans be, you know, or even what we have, whatever we have now being vocal. You wouldn't have had people on a podcast that thousands of people listen to, hooray for us, saying... Um, you know, this isn't great what Lucas Moura believes in. So there is some progress there and we have to hope that that will uh, sneak into the next generation, sneak into the next generation and then eventually over time um, 
the, there becomes a point where there's a majority. There's a becomes a point where there's a majority who don't think that it's appropriate for us to use the Y words, even though we started that for good reasons anymore, and we need to move on from that. There becomes a point where you don't see monkey ch- chants in the stands anymore because anyone who would do that would get instantly attacked by the people surrounding them. And yes, I do think that it's okay to use violence to enforce social norms. Mm. So. Um, yeah, I mean, you just have to keep fighting the good fight and hope things eventually come around for you. Of course, within that time, the Earth will become an uninhabitable and nothing matters at all. And, and also to to be willing to fight the good fight on behalf of those people whose voices aren't as loud as yours or, or who face the consequences of doing so, I think. And you touched on something really interesting in that, Nathan. I mean, you touched on a lot of interesting things, but um, the idea that... Um, like some like people aren't just a thing they are people with a whole variety of different aspects of their personalities sure. and their views and like lucas can be really sweet and genuine and charming and lovely yeah, and that, that that's not that's not to say he's only a bad person he can be really lovely and there are parts of lucas which are lovely um it's really weird i was thinking about i don't know why um i think about jim davidson earlier because, because of the tweet Yes, yes, that was it. Yeah. Because Bardi in the um, WhatsApp group, there was a tweet of Ashley Banjo uh, <laughs> calling out Jim Davidson for some of his views. And it made me think about Jim Davidson. And one of the things I know about Jim Davidson is when you hear um, comics speak about Jim Davidson, uh, obviously they condemn his views normally, normally. But what they'll also say is, it's such a shame because he's such a nice man. He's so supportive. Behind the scenes, yeah. he's, he's so kind to young comics. He really looks after people. He supports the industry. He helps promote them. He gives advice. He's got time for everyone. He's not like an entirely bad person. There's some really nice aspects to Jim Davidson. But also, he's a bastard who who <laughs> says things, uses his platform to make life worse for marginalised people. And that is shitty. Uh, and we should never forget that. But yeah. Bad it's, people it's, can do nice things. It's very, it's very difficult. This, the Lucas situation is we, we, we want our footballers to be more open and more honest about who they are, what they believe in. Harry Kane is one that we, we have no idea what goes on in his head. Yeah. He, he, sticks to, he sticks to the rules. And then, I mean, God knows what will come out of his mouth. But then Lucas talks and he's just like, Jesus, why, why, do we, why are you talking like this? And then I think that is a huge problem. But like Nathan says, it is freedom of speech. It's completely and outrageously wrong. And I stand by everything that Nathan says. But sometimes you want players to open up and then you don't like what you get. Um, yeah, Tottenham. That's, this, a, that's think, a good point. Yeah, I think some, I think Tottenham. This needs to have been acted upon. I think it's been allowed. It's been allowed to fester too long by Tottenham and Lucas himself. But then, yeah, what do you do? You, you just you just sign. To, you need to ask someone's political views before you give them a contract. Is that is that even legal? I'm not sure. What you need to do is start a Twitter hashtag campaign uh, before the player or the manager signs. That is definitely the way to handle it. I would certainly yeah. recommend that. Um, Bardi, we haven't got through the questions and we've been going for ages. Can we stop now? Is that all right? If we <laughs> we can stop. We can stop. Okay, so we've got two. I'm just sad which we'll the save. other one would have been about Italy binning off Brazil. But we can, we can, do you we want can to do that, that one? Do you want to do that one quick? No, 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 no. Because it's not even about Brazil and Italy. So My camera's run out of battery. I think that's a pretty good sign. That's yeah, a let's... sign that it's time to stop. Um, if you've stayed with us all this way, thank you very much. This has been a, a long podcast. Uh, and yeah, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> thank you very much. Thanks. We love you. Oh, I mean, the thing to say is behind the paywall, we do these live Q and A's and mm. you would get this kind of more rambling side of us. <laughs> yeah. But, there's but nothing also, like this. No, it's but... not, this is so different from the, the live Q and A's that we do. Last time we spent half an hour discussing whether we would fight an orangutan with a sword or a chicken every time we got into our car. Slightly <laughs> different topics. And the previous one was about hedgehogs. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. It's uh, completely different. Don't bother signing up for the Patreon. It's shit. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. 
Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.